Well, good morning, church. It is great to be back here with you this morning. I love the fact that we're a church that comes and praises and worship our awesome God, but at the same time, we can turn around and uh, celebrate life change through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. Welcome to Bridgewater. We are stoked that you are here with us today. We hope that you enjoy your time with us, uh, that you catch up with someone around you, if they think you're amazing people around you, by the way, that you just connect with one before you walk out. We hope that your time with us is profitable for life, that you cut, catch something this morning like, ah, that's why I came. Uh, as we get going this morning, open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we're starting at verse 1 this morning. Psalm 51, verse 1. If you grab the Bible on the way in, you'll find it on page 390. 390. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, right, you have, don't have a Bible of your own, and you want one, and you saw those on the Bible sitting on there, you're like, I wonder what they're for, just take one, all right? Just take one. It's our gift for you. It's not stealing, okay? Just so you know that. It's like, I'm taking a Bible, Right? We're offering it. We desire for you to have a copy of God's word in your hands. Because that's important. So grab one up there, page 390 from those. You know, we're waist deep in this series, Rules of Engagement. We're three weeks in a series that we've been focusing on our relationships. In fact, we've been focusing specifically on a situation or part of relationships, which is conflict. We have conflict in our relationships. We all have relationships in life. We have people in our lives. We have uh, students, spouses. We have uh, coworkers, bosses, teachers, friends, family. And I hope you also have the best relationship in your life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord, as your Lord and Savior. But relationships are very fabric of who we are. That's how God fashioned us in our mother's wombs. So he pulled us together. We're supposed to have community with other people. That's why he wants us to have community within church. That's why we have small groups. In fact, one of our core values, the pillar of what we do here at church, is life is better connected. We believe life is better connected with other people moving in the same direction, searching and trying to figure out what this life in Jesus looks like. So we have all these relationships, and, and in our relationships, there's some of the best moments in our life happen in relationships. Some of the greatest moments in our life happen within relationships. When you got married, you know, like, this is the greatest moment of my life. What? There was someone there. There was a relationship. If you think back right now, some of the best moments of your life, other people were around. It, other people were there. Maybe other people were a part of it. But... The truth is, as amazing relationships are, there's always times where they're not so good. There's times where the sandpaper rubs against our lives and, we, and there's hurt and there's pain. Because relationships are not always peaches and creams and unicorns and rainbows, as we come to believe. And I don't think I need to sell you on that. I think you've experienced that in your life. You have relationships. There's been conflict in your relationships. Maybe you're walking through that right now. You know, there's times in our lives when the relationships cause hurt and pain. There's times in relationships with someone in that relationship thinks of themselves more than the other person or people before them. There's times where hurtful words are said. And if we're honest, there's times where our actions don't quite equal to the love and grace and mercy that we have received from Jesus they don't, they don't add up. There's times 
and in relationships where we blow it, where we mess up, we cause the conflict, we cause the problem. So what do we do? What do we do when that happens in our, in our relationship? What do we have to do when conflict steps in and causes division or separation or hurt? You know, week one, we zeroed in on this idea that it's, when it come, comes to conflict, when it comes into our relationships, it's not about winning. It's not about you and I having victory at the end. We're walking with our hands raised up singing, we are the champions, my friends, right? There's no time for the losers, No, 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 no. That we need to stop, and if we want Jesus-driven relationships, we need to stop and look in the mirror and start dealing with things with a person staring back at us. Then Adam walked, was here last week, and he walked this idea that we need to own our part. When it comes to conflict or brokenness or since entering the relationship, we need to own our part. We all have a part that plays when it comes to it. If it's 10%, you own the 10%. If it's 50%, own your 50%. If it's 100%, dude, take it all on. Take responsibility for what you have done. We need to own our part. And then we move on to this week's conversation where it gets a little bit tough, a little bit raw, a little bit real, and it's about confession. Confession. That's rule number three, that we need to confess. So what do you do when you blow it? It's called confession. Very, very simple. See, the problem is confession and forgiveness are two of the most poorly practiced disciplines in our culture. Poorly practiced. But unfortunately, it also happens within the church. People who've been called by Jesus to live differently. Confessing our sin and seeking for, asking for forgiveness or granting forgiveness does not happen. We become so comfortable with our actions and our behavior. We become so comfortable in our sin. When we blow it, when we act completely selfishly, selfishly, when we act in a way that hurts another person, when we cut them down, when the words that come across our lips are so far from loving, when we choose to live in a way that dishonors God and disrespects the people in front of us, and you can add all so many more things to it but we choose to do nothing. We choose to do nothing in those relationships to fix it. Now, I think it's two reasons why. Two different reasons why we choose to do nothing. And the first is we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't understand what, truly what God requires us as his children, how we're called to live and walk through conflict and brokenness in our relationships. We have this idea it's natural for us to come and say, come on, this, this is no big deal, right? I, I know I said something was hurtful. Just rub some dirt in it, baby, and we'll be all right. And we move on and we act like the world because we've experienced it. We've encountered it. It's been a part of our lives for so long. We've grown up with it. It was in our homes that we never dealt with it. It was always swept under the rug, you didn't talk about the hard stuff. You're just like, well, we'll just deal with that because we want to keep the peace. It's all about keeping the peace in the house. No one yelling, no one talking. Just, let's not actually have a conversation about what's wrong. Or you grew up in a house where everything got stored up. Every time there was a hurt, boom, there's another block. 
Every time there is a sin, boom, there's another block. Every time there's an offense, boom, there's another block. It keeps on building and building. It's never dealt with. And so every time there's another argument, another conflict, someone just backs the whole truck right up and just dumps it all out at the same time. But you, because we don't know what to do. And we don't wonder why. Wait, we just added more fuel to the fire. And we wonder why our house blew up. We wonder why our relationships blew up. Because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to respond. How God calls us to respond when it happens to us. Friends, that is why I talk about us reading the word. That is why I constantly talk about you having a Bible and reading the word of God. This is his life manual for you. How he desires and created you to live. It was written by the power of the Holy Spirit, preserved for thousands of years in perfection, not so we can sit down with our kids and read some cute little bedtime stories. No, this is God wanting to have a conversation with you about who he is, how much he loves you, and, and, and this really, really just gets, gets under my skin. He wants to say, this is how you should live, right? If you say you're a follower of Jesus, this is how you should live. Let me just be, be real, real clear. You'll never know God. You'll never know his full love for you and his plan to give you the best life possible, life to the full according to Jesus, if you choose not to read. It's free. I told you to grab a copy on your way out. But if you want to know him better if you want to know what he, how he's called you to live and church if we want to know how to walk through conflict to restore our broken relationships we need to read we need to read now that is the first reason I think we just don't know because we're not reading the second reason is very very simple but extremely damaging we know what to do. We know what to do because we've been taught. We know what to do because we've read. We know what to do because some pastor at some point preached it or we listened to a podcast or whatever. We know what to do, but we choose not to do it. We've heard it. We understand it. But it's hard. So we choose not to do it. That's a very dangerous place to be, my friends. It's a very dangerous place to be. If you say you're a follower of Jesus and you refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit that resides within you as your counselor, right? Your advocate, your convictor of your sin. And you choose not to listen to God. You're in a dangerous place, friends. Because God's not gonna make it easy for you and I to continue to live in sin. He's not going to make it easy for you and I to continue to walk in a way and not deal with our sin. This is going to bring more frustration. He's going to bring more isolation, more confusion, more hurt. Because he wants you to deal with it the way he's called you to do it if you're a child of his. Now, I don't know about you. But I've already experienced a lot of pain in my life. 
frustration, isolation. And I want to choose not to, do, to get more of it in it. You know what I mean? Amen? I mean, who here wants to experience more pain in life? Right. Two reasons. We don't know what to do, or we don't do what we're called to do. We just let it ride. Confession. Would we blow it? God's got a simple, simple plan to restore it. It's simply confession. Confessing your sin, making it right, being up front about it. Do me a favor. Say this word with me out loud. And again. One more time. Now say it like you mean it. Yeah. Right now, you're open to a passage of Scripture, Psalm 51, that walks us through just that. See, Psalm 51 was written by King David. David was a man after God's own heart, according to Scripture. But even David had a moment of life where he blew it. In fact, he blew it big time. See, David was a king over Israel, over God's chosen people. And one spring, he sent his armies off to war while he stayed back at the, at the palace. Well, he stayed back the temple. So he was there. They were fighting for the kingdom. And one night he was on this rooftop, just kind of hanging out, walking around. And he looked over this Jason building, and he got a full eyes view of this woman, beautiful woman, bathing. And so while he was there, he saw her, and she was naked. And he saw her, and he could have said, well, you know what? I want to honor God with this decision I got in front of me. I can turn away and honor God, or I can sit there and live out my lust and stare at her. Well, he chose the latter. In fact, he took it one step further. He sent his guards to bring Bathsheba as her name, and she was married to her husband Uriah. He brought Bathsheba to his quarters. And while she was in his quarters, her husband was fighting for his country, fighting for the kingdom. And David had such a lust in his heart, he slept with her. And then she became pregnant. And then David, you know, man of valor, man of God, decided to do the right thing. Not even close. Once he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant with his child, he tried to figure out a scheme to wrap it all up, to hide his sin, what he had done. And so he called Uriah back from battle. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring him back. He's going to hang out with his wife. They're going to sleep together. And they're like, oh, look, she's pregnant. The baby's yours. But it didn't work. Uriah, being a man of God, wouldn't go home and be with his wife while his men were out of battle. He didn't feel it was worthy thing to do. So David got him drunk. That's always good. He's going to get this guy blasted. Then he's going to go home with his wife. He still didn't go home. So now what is David going to do? His plot to hide his sin was, was falling apart. He goes, no, I don't want to do I'm going to do something even better. It gets so, so much better. He sends Uriah to the front of the lines. He says, listen, you go to the front of the lines. And he talked to someone else. Put him right up front. Why? So he's going to be killed And that's exactly what happened. Uriah went up to battle, and he was killed. 
And David's like, ha, 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 done. I don't have to face it anymore, right? The husband's not around. God didn't see that, did you, God? He didn't see what's going on. Well, the God brought his friend Nathan to him. And Nathan told David a story about a man's sin who absolutely outraged him. And then he looked at David and said, you're the man. You are deep in sin. And at that moment, David realized what he had done. How he turned his back on God, lived for himself. In Psalm 51, his heart poured to God for what he had done. So if your Bible's open, start with me at verse 1, or you can follow on the screen. It says, have mercy on me, God. According to your unfaithful love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Verse 5, surely I was sinful at birth. From the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me the wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Hear my joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Father, create within me a pure heart and renew a steadfast within me. Let's stop right there. David, once he realized that he had blown it, the first thing he did is come before God and confess it. Come before God and just be real about what he had done, his transgressions, his sin. God, this is what it is. You know all about it. No more ignoring it. No more hiding it. Let's just be real about it. Friends, Real deal Christians confess their sin. We deal with it. Counterfeit Christians conceal it. They hide it. No more, I don't, I don't, I don't have to deal with that. I just shove it down over here. I don't have to just face that. Yeah, do I don't just put it right over here. Put it with the other ones I've kept up there for years. But God says, if you're truly following me, we confess it. David also wrote Psalm 32. Look at this. This is pouring out his heart to God. Verse 3 on the screen. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped like the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. No more hiding it. I'm going to confess it to God and make it right. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we hide it and don't confess it, it hurts. It festers. And it doesn't just hurt us. It hurts all the parties involved those who we've hurt and us who have sinned. 
It takes both parties walk through pain. God, I acknowledge my sin. I confess it. I blew it. You knew it. Now I am owning it. Then he goes back to Psalm 51. Look at verse 16. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. Let me just stop right there. Sacrifice and burnt offerings is what Israel done, it was required to do through the law. When there was sin in the camp, sin in your life, you'd bring a sacrifice, right? You'd bring it before the Lord and the priest would offer that sacrifice, put a burnt offering for the sins of the people. That's what God required in, in the Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to do that anymore because of Jesus. Jesus, who lived the perfect life, poured out his perfect blood for the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future. We don't have to go offer sacrifices. In fact, if you tried, you'd probably be arrested, okay? Let me just be really clear about that. Because of what Jesus did. And what he did was so perfect. And it says in Hebrews, it was done once and for all. So it never has to be happened that doesn't have to happen again. So what do we do? So how would you and I respond? You know, if he's not requiring sacrifice, no burnt offerings, what do, how do, what do we do? Look what he says in verse 17. He says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Is a broken spirit and a, and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. God, I understand that going through the motions and just bringing up, here's some lambs, here's some doves, right? I was just going through the motions and you're going to forgive me. It's not good enough. It's not what you're looking for. God, you want a broken heart. You want the sin that I have committed to crush. Contrite means crushed. Hearts. That means we need to be broken about what we have done. We sin and, and cause conflict in our relationships. Man, we need to be broken about that. We need to, it needs to hurt within us. Like, we, I can't sit like this anymore. I can't walk through life anymore. I mean, I got to deal with this. Because that's what God desires. And that's what the God desires from you and me. There has to be a love of, of brokenness when it comes to our sin. When we break in conflict, when we broke in relationships, there has to be. And then we just need to make it right. So confession. We need to confess. And now I want to walk through some do's and don'ts of what that looks like. Some do's and don'ts. What, what not to do when it comes to confession and what we're called to do. The first one you don't do is if. If I hurt you, if you consider it sin, if you didn't like how it turned out, if, 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 but, and, and maybe, take no responsibility for yourself. Right? It doesn't take any ownership for what you've done. It's just pushing it off on someone else and somewhere else. You don't say if. When it comes to confession, we need to own it and we need to address it. It's not if it happened. Oh, it happened. Oh, yeah, it definitely happened. And I sinned against you and against God. 
So when it comes to confession and we address it, we need to come before God and ask him for forgiveness. But then we need to confess it and address it with the people, everyone who's involved. Everyone who's involved. See, we all do really well with stopping and maybe having a conversation with God. But actually going to have the conversation with the person we sinned against? Well, that's really hard. We know we skip that part. I know I've shared this in the past. Um, Stephanie and I uh, had made an agreement years and years ago uh, that when we blew it, that we would make it right. When I was unloving as a husband, when I was unloving as a dad or whatever, and there was an argument in our home, we knew that we needed to stop, confess the sin before God, confess it to each other. But then we made an agreement, we're gonna take it one step further because we knew our boys were around and they were gonna hear, our, they heard our words. But kids, more that is caught than taught. We can say a good game, but they're watching us at home. So we had an agreement with each other that when we messed up, when I sinned, we would go before each other, God each other, and walk over to our boys and get on our knees and say, how I acted was sinful. God against God, mom, and you, because you heard it. Will you please forgive me? And we started when they're little kids. And when they're little kids, they don't fully understand. Okay, Dad, I forgive you. They don't get it. But you know what? They've grown up in a house where we've practiced it. And so we want to model to them how do we handle conflict? How do we handle the sin in our lives? We confess it. We walk through it together as a family. It's not if we need to address what's there. It's not a passive apology, okay? We're really good about being passive-aggressive about stuff. You know, we're like, I am sorry that you feel this way. I'm sorry that you don't agree with me. I'm sorry that, come on. That's not taking ownership of it. That's, again, pushing the blame, being passive. I'm sorry that you did that, that made me react the way that I did, so that, What? No, no, no. We need to admit what we've done. We need to admit the hurt that was caused. We need to admit the tension that was created in the conflict in the relationship. We need to admit the sin. Admit it. Again, this is to God and to everyone involved. Be specific. Use the word sin. Ooh. Sin sounds so dirty. Well, it is. And if God calls it sin, we should call it sin. He doesn't care how we feel about it. Just call it what it is. His son died for it, right? So we need to admit what we have done. Next one, don't deflect it. I'm, I'm really good at this. I'm really good. I am too good at this. Oh, I was, I was tired. You know, I stayed up late last night and I woke up and I was really tired this morning. You know, that's why I yelled at you. I mean, that's why I barked at you and told you to get out of the house. What? Or I was drunk. 
I was, I was under the influence. I really didn't mean it. Or, or this one's good. I was hangry. I was so hungry that I felt so powerful that I could just rip you apart with my words. Go have a granola bar. It doesn't work. Or this one. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I have a dark side. Duh, we all do. And we can deflect it really easy. God's told us to bring it back in and acknowledge it. Don't deflect it. Acknowledge it. Again, now acknowledge the hurt that we caused. Acknowledge exactly what you did. Friends, if we did this, this would be so incredibly powerful in our relationships. This is what I did. This is really specific what I have done. And it was a sin against you and against God in heaven. Acknowledge it. We're so good at deflecting and skirting around what it is just to get on the other side of it. We don't truly grasp a hold of what we have done. Then once this, is, once this takes place, we accept it. We accept the consequences from, from our sin. We don't want that. That's why we don't want to deal with it. We don't deal with the consequences for it. Because if I admit it, acknowledge it, we have to walk through it, there's consequences for my sin. There's consequences for our sin, and it's called death. Right? We deserve to die, but God said, you know what? I love you so much, I'm sending Jesus. He's going to die on a cross for your sin, and you're going to walk across his shoulders back and have a relationship with me through a life surrendered to me. Right? So that's what it causes. There's consequences for our sin. And just as there's consequences with God, there's consequences with other people. There might be a separation in your friendship for a while. There might be a little lack of trust for a while. If it's at work, maybe you stole something or showed up late or lied in records, whatever. Maybe the consequences is you lose your job. Let me just ask you, is it more important to honor God or keep your job because of your sin? Just in case you want to talk about the others. God. Many of you received an email this week. <laughs> you received an email from, from our office about we had to ask the pastor to resign. And uh, he's a really good friend of mine. God was doing some amazing things for him. But his lifestyle forced us to do what we did. Because we chose to honor God regardless of the consequences. And he was a really, really good friend. It still is. But it hurts. It's not going to be easy. 
It's not going to be easy. But it's the godly thing to do. Confess our sin and handle the consequences when they come. Then we alter our behavior. We alter our behavior. We change how we act. We change how we talk. We change what we do. We can't continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and think we're going to come up with different results at the end. That's called insanity, friends. We need to make some changes. Let the crush of the consequences be real. So like the pressure of the sin be real. It's like, I'm going to make some changes. And then we ask for forgiveness. We're going to really get into that in a couple weeks. But we ask for forgiveness. Do's and don'ts. We have to identify what we're really good at. And then we have to identify what God's called us to be good at. And work it out in our lives. Because Scripture says, Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, we talked about week one, puts a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. And if we say that we're a follower of Jesus, a child of God, we have to deal with our sin when it comes to conflict. Be honest, be real, be raw, and let God be glorified at the end. What would happen if we took our sin and our offense against others as seriously as we take their sin, their offense against us? What would happen to relationships if we took it seriously? Because what's happened, what's going on right now, we're an outraged generation. We're an outraged generation. I can't believe you did. You did what? I, what are you doing? And we just blow up at everybody else. But we're really okay for blowing up on them and not dealing with our own junk. What would happen that we chose not to be right, but we chose to reconcile? We chose to love instead of hate. We chose to be honest and confess our sin instead of hiding it. Let me just tell you what happened. Your relationships would be radically changed forever. Radically changed forever. You know, this morning I couldn't think of a, a better time to stop and reflect on all this by taking a moment and reflecting on the price of our ultimate price of our sin, the death of our Lord and Savior, that he was nailed to the cross. We have an opportunity to take communion this morning together in remembrance of what Jesus has done so we can have life through his death and resurrection. Communion is an amazing part of our walk with Jesus we can remember. Let me just share with you, if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not take the communion. 
because you can't remember what you have not embraced for yourselves. You remembering what Jesus has done for you personally. So maybe this is an opportunity for you this morning to make it right with God. If you believe who Jesus is, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he defeated the death and rose from the grave, and you turn around and confess your sin to him, God, I am sorry that I've lived my life for myself. I'm sorry that I use your name in vain all the time. I'm sorry for how I just continue to live in my own direction. Confess it to him. I mean, that's part of our relationship with coming to Christ is confessing what we have done and putting it out before him because it was all put on his shoulders. All of them, my sin, your sin, the sin of all mankind for all time on the stretched arms of Jesus Christ. You know, we come to communion, we, we celebrate in the remembrance of Jesus once a month. We usually talk about some passages in 1 Corinthians 11, the front side, when, when Jesus was in the upper room with his best friends. And he was instating this idea, like this is what I'm gonna do for you and for all mankind. And Paul walks us through and shares the, the words of Jesus and what we're called to do and why we're remembering. But after that, there's, there's really a clear indication of how we're to approach this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 27, it says, So whenever you eat the bread or drink this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let me just stop there. When we come before Jesus and we take in what's a remembrance of what he has done for us, for our salvation, and when we take it in an unworthy manner, when we have unconfessed sin. Because what was happening during this time, they had to call the Lord's Supper. And there was this big feast that was taking place and people of providence were eating and you know, food and getting drunk and they're casting off the poor people like they didn't matter. That was sin in the eyes of God. He said, you better not do that. You better stop that. You better recognize what you're doing. You're taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Well, that's the same for you and I. We need to stop, take a moment, and confess our sins to God. And if there's something between you and a brother and sister in, in your walk, maybe, maybe just don't take it all and you go find them and, and, and start confessing and start healing broken relationships. Don't take it in an unworthy manner. Jesus died, friends. And when we remember, we can never take that lightly. It goes on to say in verse 28, everyone who ought, ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup, stop, examine your life. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of the Christ and eat and, why, and drink in judgment on themselves. We come before Jesus. We remember what he has done. But if we continue to live unconfessed sin buried deep inside. We're not handling it how God has called us to do according to his word. We're bringing in more pain. There's some judgment going on. More hurt. So I want to take a break. I'm going to be silent. 
I want to give you an opportunity to have a conversation with God and make it right. And then we're going to take it together. package in your hand, you tear up the top part, is a little wafer. This represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you and I, broken for our sin. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he broke this bread in his room with his closest friends, He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take this together. Thank you, Jesus. After dinner, Jesus grabbed a cup of wine. And this juice that you have in your container in the second level represents his blood. That his blood was poured out, ran down his face, ran down the cross. Sin required a sacrifice. And Jesus said, I've got it. I'm going to pay your sin debt. I'm going to pay your sin debt. I'm going to pay your sin debt. My blood will be poured so you have an opportunity to have life in me. And after supper, Jesus says, this cup is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. New, new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take this cup. Father, we thank you for this morning. 
thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We are so thankful that you provided a way back to you through your son, Jesus Christ. That you loved us so much. You're willing to send your son to take the brutal death of a crucifixion for my sin, for the sin of my friends and family here in front of me. God, I pray that we never take that lightly. And as we've walked through this series, dealing with the conflict in our relationships, the brokenness of our own sin in those relationships, I pray that your word prevails, that we will be a church of courage, that we'll be a church who follows you regardless how hard it gets, that we'll be a church, first of all, that confesses. We not like the results. We sure don't like doing it. But if we honor you with our lives, we need to. Thank you for making it clear. Thank you for calling us to be different. It's because we choose to be different than the world. The light of Jesus will shine through us and our relationships and how they're restored and how you'll be glorified. We worship you. In your son's name I pray, amen.